0: Welcome to Computer Vision Decoded, where we help you make sense of the quickly evolving world of computer vision. Today, I'll be joined by Jared Heinley and a special guest, Itzik Ben-Shabai. Itzik has a PhD in computer vision and he is a visiting research fellow at the Australian National University and Technion Israel Institute of Technology. And He also hosts his own podcast, Talking Papers, where he talks to first authors on research papers about computer vision, machine learning, AI, and other topics related to what we're talking about today. In this episode, we're going to dive into implicit neural representations. That might be a topic that is new to most of you, but is quickly evolving and something that you should be very aware of. And always at the end, I'll make sure I include links to everything we discuss in this episode so you can dive in deeper in your own research. Now let's get to this episode. Welcome, Itzik, to our latest episode of Computer Vision Decoded. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about implicit neural representations. And for Jared and I, this is new territory, at least for me. Uh, Jared may have run into this in his past studies, but it is a field that neither of us uh, work in day to day. And we're really excited to have you on this episode. Um, So welcome, Itzik.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I'm always happy to share knowledge and research all right so just just to start out this episode
0: i'm assuming that a lot of our audience may have heard of implicit neural representations they may know a little bit about it but i'm actually going to assume most people know nothing about it so just to start out the groundwork of what we're going to discuss today can you just from a very high level explain what what this technology is, what is implicit neural representations?
1: Yeah, okay. So basically, implicit neural representations aim to take, well, basically any input signal, but for example, an image or a shape represented as point clouds or even an audio signal and encode that into a neural network, right? So you have Usually like sometimes these are called coordinate networks. So you take an input coordinate and you output the signal that you want. So if it's an image, you take the pixel, your output is the pixel color. If it's a point cloud, you take a point in space, you say, is it on the surface or not? So it's like this way of taking these different types of signals and encoding them into a network.
0: Okay. Uh, And so it it does not necessarily have to be, uh, you know, we've been, Primarily talking about 3D objects and visualizing 3D models, so it can it can cross into audio, video, all sorts of yeah. you know, representations. Yes. Okay.
1: So my main focus in this domain was obviously working with shapes because I work in the 3D domain a lot. But uh, many papers have shown that it's not exclusive to that. I think it has a lot of very interesting applications in this 3D domain because. Unlike the other domains, it doesn't really just encode the input. It kind of has some, I would say, generalizability uh, option because, well, if we're talking about points, right, point clouds, um, they're actually samples of some continuous, something that's more continuous, right? And when you Mm -hmm. learn this implicit neural representation, you're actually getting something that is continuous again, um, unlike an image where you encode an image, so you still get something that's more discrete as as output output because you always sample it. It is more continuous in some senses, but I think for point clouds, you're you're moving from from the point domain to kind of the surface um, representation of things.
2: Okay, that um, makes sense. And and just um, I mean, you talked about three D, uh, which which we love to talk about here. Um, you know, how how does when, when you think about an employer, uh uh, implicit neural representation. Um, how does that compare and contrast to something like a nerf? Um, you know, we've talked about nerfs, you know, on this podcast before saying, you know, it's, it's a way for a machine learning model to, you know, represent, you know, a, a 3d scene so that you can then render it from, you know, different, different viewpoints. Um, are, is there, are these the same tech, are we talking about the same thing here? Or is this something different? Um,
1: um, yeah, that's a great question. So, I think they're, they're complementary in some levels, right? Because Nerfs, right? You're encoding the space in, for, as like a, a neural field, right? So you, you want to encode the shape and you have the density, that kind of encodes the, sorry, you, you encode the color and you have the density that kind of encodes the shape. And there are new works popping up that kind of try to combine these two ideas into this one framework. And it seems like each of them has their own benefits, right? Because the nerfs are very great at at creating these very reliable kind of novel view synthesis um, outputs. And and the results are amazing and smooth and kind of really, when you look at those nerfs, they blow you away. But if you kind of look closely at the results as to the fidelity of the geometric reconstruction, you see that. At least currently, I don't know, maybe tomorrow, it, it wouldn't be correct anymore. But at least currently, there are still issues to solve there to kind of get like this high level of detail that you would expect from a surface, right? In 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 the world, right? Things are tend to be smooth. They're not like jaggedy or wobbly uh, where, where all of these kind of nerf-based, um, I would say, combos of implicit neural representations and nerfs they still have these kind of challenges that need to be resolved
2: okay okay i think that, that makes sense that's, that's a good point so like so with where nerfs are are geared toward visualization you know and being able to render you know a nice beautiful photo you know photorealistic representation um they you know nerfs don't necessarily care about that underlying geometry whereas you're saying that's where with an implicit neural representation if it's trying to uh, represent the underlying signal or the underlying data there, the geometry or the audio or, or, you know, whatever that, that data or signal is, you know, it's focused on, you know, that the shape, the geometry, the thing that, you know, and not necessarily just generating a, a pretty, pretty picture.
1: Yeah, exactly. This is why it's mostly used in, in like, it's evaluated, like the implicit neural representations, or we can call them INR for short. Um, they're mainly focused on in 3D on surface reconstruction. So you evaluate how well it captures the underlying shape. Whereas in Nerfs, as you said, it's more geared toward getting like this nice view that you can tell if it's true or not, but the underlying geometry may not be. And this is why all the Nerfs, they have different challenges where, when it comes to, you know, transparent objects, right? It creates these kind of uh, fuzzy, um, Kind of fake artifacts just to to fool your eye, but if you look at it from a different angle, you can see that that um, that fuzziness. Um, In INRs, it's it's a different problem. It's very focused on the reconstruction quality.
0: All right, Um, and I do like how you. We're now going to reference this as INR for the rest of the episode (laughs) because it is quite a mouthful to say. Uh, And I do like the point you're saying. It's uh, you know, we're 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 representing a shape, and so I think of audio too. I think that's a hard one for people to think of. How can some technology work for three D reconstruction in audio? Well, we're reconstructing the shape of a waveform, uh, things like that. Um, so I think it's very interesting how this 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 technology is. You could you could go into this in a completely different um, focus than we're going to talk about today. So, what got you into this field? What got you into this line of research?
1: Oh wow, (laughs) that's a good question. So I've always been, okay. So this actually goes back a long, long time. And I will tell you like, this is my origin story. Um, I'm actually a mechanical engineer by training and I used to do mechanical design. And there was one place that I was working at where we used to scan objects. we had like this big, expensive 3D scanner. This is, I don't know, maybe over 10 years ago. We had this big expensive 3d scanner and we used to scan objects and the reason why we scanned objects is because they had this complicated geometry and we wanted to you know design something that would kind of mount onto that or kind of latch or some and and it wasn't easy to measure with traditional tools and then we got this big point cloud and the software that existed back then were really primitive like you could do some basic surface reconstruction but it would never like do exactly what you want and that's how I I generally got into this whole domain of doing point cloud processing for different reasons. Cause I wanted to invent that button that you just press that button and you get like this perfect reconstruction. And, and when I say reconstruction, I also, you know, in my head, it's still like the mechanical engineer view of reconstruction. I want to get the extrusions where the holes go, you know, where the drills, when is it a screw? Where is it just a rivet? And, and that's kind of what led me down this path uh initially and specifically like in the domain of implicit neural representations i, I had some work that i've done a lot of um, normal estimations right so there are very very classical methods to do that and as i think it was around 2017 18 i was midway uh through my phd and i really liked how you can use these all of these deep learning methods to to kind of solve these traditional problems like normal estimation. But in the bottom line, normal estimation is almost surface reconstruction. So the next thing was, okay, let's take all of these powerful tools and see how we can use them to to do that surface reconstruction. And and I admit, I wasn't the first one. Uh, Like I think DeepSDF is one of the papers that uh, kind of started this also occupancy network. There are a few papers that kind of started this implicit neural representation kind of trend but but implicit representations per se existed even before that, right? We just guessed the functions that we want to use. And the main thing here is, okay, let's learn those functions. We don't need to guess them anymore. Like We can just learn them.
0: All right. So there's a couple terms that you threw out there that I also feel like our, our listeners may have get lost. Um, can you explain what just you're talking about, talking about normals, normalization, that's a really basic term for me but i also know that a lot of people who may be listening might not quite understand what that what you mean by that um
1: yeah i'm happy to so normal estimation basically when you look at a point cloud right so this point cloud represents an underlying surface so the normal is basically the normal to the surface right so if you walk on the surface imagine you have a little lego person walking on that surface where is his head right what's pointing up that's the normal vector and and normal estimation basically means given a point cloud, right? Every place on that point cloud, where is up, where is the normal direction of that, Mm -hmm. of that surface. And the reason why it's so important, like it has numerous applications, right? If you want to kind of understand how lighting would bounce off a surface that has a lot to do with the normal, um, and many other, like if you want to align it to other things, right? If you want to do like a registration kind of problem or, um, normals are, are very crucial in many applications.
0: Okay, um, yeah, I was thinking of as you have a point cloud, we have no idea what what the front of each point is, which which way is that point looking? Um, so that 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 definitely helps. Um, and I, I think I learned very early on from Jared actually a lot about you know normals and a lot of times I'll have a point cloud and it has no, no no normals, and learning how what's the best way to deal with that data if I want to turn it into a surface. Um, that definitely helps, and what there's, I know there's a lot of different um, choices you can make in, in algorithmically figuring out which way, you know, estimating the normals if you don't have that. But, um, you know, a lot of a lot of software nowadays, if you're capturing a point cloud with a LiDAR scanner with photogrammetry, uh, a lot of times that, the normals are already kind of baked, not baked in, but it comes with the data you have. But I don't know how many times they'll get, you know, a data set and it's been stripped of those. So you have to deal with, without that. And I'm, I'm kind of hinting towards what uh, your last year's work is about. Um, so interesting, so, okay, so now you're in this, we're looking at three, uh, you're looking at INR for, you know, reconstructing scenes, objects, um, you've, you've fallen in that line of work. Um, and um, so what you, were, you were talking about this deep SDF, there's some other past projects. If someone wants to kind of jump into the journey and work their way through to what you were working on the last couple of years. Uh, Is there any of a prior work you'd have them look at that you'd have them read or just watch? I I always like to watch the project papers, some CVPR or one of those conferences that kind of gives you a two and a half minute overview. Um, Is there any like bait, you know, if you were recommend someone go find, you know, three different projects or three different uh, videos to watch, is there, is, is there any topics that you think would give them a good base beyond what we talked about today?
1: Yes. So I think the very first place to start would actually be not related to the neural side of the implicit neural representation. That would be uh, Poisson surface reconstruction, right? It's uh, an industry standard by now. Everybody uses Poisson surface reconstruction. I think this is like a good place to start. If you're completely new to to this problem or domain, Uh, you kind of have to know Poisson surface reconstruction. The next two um, are DeepSDF and Occupancy Network, which came out the same year. They're just tackling the problem in a little bit of a different way. Uh, but the reason I think they're a good place to start is like, they basically kind of started the trend. So everything is very self-contained in those papers that you can follow along and read through fairly easily. And actually DeepSDF has a, a has a nice website and implementation that everybody can download and use on GitHub. So it really is a very nice, a good place to start. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, it's a great. Uh, see, I'm trying if I can bring up one of those pages on the screen here. Um, I know that Deep SDF is, is, I believe, is connected with Facebook, and they do a pretty good job at visuals. And because I know that a lot of people jump into this just wanting some visuals to help understand. That's how I. I tend to start look at the pretty pictures. Of course. Um you know, <laughs> get a base. We all do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially if I mean, I'm sure Jared looks through CVPR papers and half of it he's lost because it can get quite uh you know in the minutia of details and if you haven't been following that line of research for a while, I'm sure a lot of it goes right over your head. Um so we start with the pictures. Ask some questions maybe. Um so All right. Um, okay. So, uh, Jared, do you, you have any specific questions so far, um, about what he's, he said yeah, well, before if, we move the, on to his, his research that he's been working on lately?
2: Yeah. One thing I kind of wanted to go back and just, um, just probe a little further on was just understanding like you, you mentioned there about, um, you know, so we have implicit neural representations. So what if you just drop that neural part, you know, what is an implicit representation, you know, going from, um, you know yeah I'll, I'll, I'll stop there you know what what is an implicit representation is by itself
1: yeah so the way i like to think of it if i kind of try to break it down to the building blocks right it's the, it's basically how would you represent a shape if you only had like pre predet- uh, one function that you can use to represent it right and i think the the easiest example is a surface right If you have like four parameters that you set, you can can define any surface in space, right? Or a sphere, for example, right? You know where the center of the sphere is, you know where the radius is, you can reconstruct a perfect sphere no matter what, right? You get these two parameters or four, if you X, Y, Z, and R, you're covered for a sphere. The problem is the world is not made up of spheres and, and planes, right? Uh, it's made out of, of different shapes, geometries, detail, fine detail. And and that's where it gets difficult, right? You, can, you For sure, there's a surface, some parametric high level, maybe a polynomial, maybe not, that you can use to represent this shape, right? Represent this geometry. But it gets really, really complicated. This is why the neural part kind of came along is because before that part, people tried different functions to, to do it and and did it to, to a fair amount of success. But the neural part really enabled this endless, well, not endless, but very high dimensional function space that you can now use, um, to model these, these complicated shapes.
2: Okay. Okay. That, yeah, that makes sense. And so is it, is it accurate to say that, um, you know, like you know, so implicit representation because it's this it's this function that represents it, it's uh, you know, a parametric model. You know, you're moving from you know sort of a discrete representation into a continuous representation.
1: Exactly, and this is I think the, their main power here, right? It, because in the discrete level, you you always have like estimates of things, and you try to you know, even normals, right? It's a normal estimation, but if you have the continuous representation, you can compute it. There's an analytical function to compute the the normals, the curvatures, all of these kind of nice geometric properties that if you have this implicit representation, they're much easier to compute.
0: Yeah. So this is from one of your um, I think lectures or presentations, where you have a bunch of discrete representations of this, this bunny. <laughs> Um,
1: Stanford bunny, it's classic. Yeah.
0: Classic. Right. (laughs) Anyone computer vision, I recognize this and I don't even have a degree in it, but, uh, yeah, there's these discrete ways of visualizing this, this object. And then, um, bring on the next slide, which, uh, you, yeah, you know, you're basically showing an implicit representation
2: now. Yeah. Um, so it's like you're moving from like, like, with that example of the sphere, you know, it's like you have the perfect mathematical model for it. Like you said, I have the center, mm-hmm. you know, of my sphere and then it's radius. And so I know perfectly, you know, where every, you know, that, where, where the surface of that sphere is contrasted with like a point cloud, which is a set of just 3D points. I could, I could sample my point cloud, I could represent a sphere. Uh, by 100 points or 1,000 points or a million points where those points are on the surface of the sphere, but that's not really the sphere. That's just a representation of it. You know, similar with a triangle mesh, I could say, well, hey, I could use a million triangles to represent the surface of that sphere, but it's not actually the sphere. It's an approximation of it. That's a bunch of flat little surfaces, you know, that are, are, are around that sphere. And so moving away from, it sounds like you know, we're moving away from these approximations, you know, samples, to something that is smooth and continuous. And, um, you know, we actually are representing where is that precise boundary between inside the object and outside the object.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. And, and this actually is, is another important property. You you don't only get the surface itself, you usually all, or also get like what's the inside, what's the outside, and what's the distance to the surface, right? Because these are all things that could be useful. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a sign distance function or an occupancy grid or whatever, like, like you get these kind of extra properties that you wouldn't have if you use point clouds. And also, if you think about the sphere example again, think about how many points you have to sample or triangles you have to, to sample on the sphere in order to get like this nice, smooth, rounded representation and how many parameters you actually need to store in memory. Right. That's mm-hmm. a huge different Difference.
0: Mm-hmm. So so uh, an SDF may be a term people may know or may not. So I'm looking at this point I have on my screen. If you're watching the YouTube version, you get to see some pretty pictures, but I'll describe it Ver- uh, verbally. You have a uh, basically a bunny represented as a bunch of points. I think let's just say this. I think there's probably hundreds in this image I have, but let's say it's, it's hundreds of thousands of points. Um, there's Those aren't perfect. Um, and so is is SDF... Correct me if I'm wrong. Is sdf basically trying to say, uh, okay, so some of these points lay outside, some of these points lay inside the object. It's trying to figure out where that boundary of what's what is actual the the edge of that object, that what where that inside and outside of the point cloud is um, to represent that object. Is that wrong? Am I totally off? I could yes. be off. No, though.
1: you're you're completely <laughs> on point. It's just the the acronym is sign distance function, right? So mm-hmm. if you're inside the object, you will get a negative value to the closest point on the surface, right? And you get the actual distance. And if you're outside, you would get a positive uh, value of the distance. And the surface itself, it's actually what's called the zero level set, which is basically where the function equals zero, right? That's the surface.
0: That makes sense. I I I think Jared one time equated it to votes. You know, if you have a lot of points on the outside, you have more votes. Votes towards it. the surface is actually further out than further in. And somewhere in there, you kind of have the average between all those those points. Kind of finding yeah, finding the signal and the noise there of where the surface is. Um, and so you're using that. You're basically using neural networks here to rep- you know to to determine that and represent this surface of this continuous shape. Um,
1: exactly. So. Yeah. You get an input point cloud, you encode that into a neural network that basically every point you now give it as input, it will tell you, am I inside? Am I outside? What's my distance to the surface? Am I on the surface? And this actually allows you to reconstruct the surface using very standard ways.
0: Okay. Yeah. And I also have another example here where uh, as a human, I might be able to see, I have a picture of a a box with five points in it. As a person, I might be able to connect those dots in my brain logically to make the shape of a of a, you know, of something, but a computer will see five dots. And unless you give it some instruction, it just knows there's five dots. How do you connect them? You could connect those in, uh, quite a few different ways. If you, if you didn't have any sort of instruction, um, perhaps which way are those dots pointing, which ways out, um, all right. Okay. So let's jump into then, uh, you've, you've done some research on this topic in the last, uh, two years you've, you you um you had a paper in cvpr last year and you and you submitted a it looks like a project this year uh, for people who don't know what cvpr is we did an episode on that make sure that's linked in here that's the premier computer vision and pattern recognition uh conference for computer vision scientists uh and you your first one last your one from last year was called digs can you jump into what what problem you were trying to tackle or your problem you tackled with INR, uh, with that project that, that, you know, what, what we were you trying to accomplish with that?
1: Yeah, sure. Happy to. So the, the idea behind the digs paper, which is short for divergence guided implicit neural representations or surface reconstruction, um, is the fact that all of the method, well, most of the method that kind of preceded it basically kind of set their own, um, supervision, right? So when you train a network, right. You usually have different ways of training it. The question is always like, what data do you have? Like, what's the ground truth? What's your labels in some cases. And, and in order and like for deep SDF, for example, like, which is one of the first ones, they assume they know everything. They, they can actually, for every point in space, you can, you know, that this, the distance to the closest point on the surface. And, And this is data that in in practice you rarely have access to right when you scan something right you you get the point cloud but you have to kind of come up with some way of estimating this distance and it's not always accurate and and not only that some methods that don't use so some methods that came after that didn't use the sign distance function for supervision but use the normal vectors, for example. But then again, this is another field of research where you have normal estimations and it's not always correct. And like, and, and ideally what you would want is you want to take your point cloud, which is like the rawest form of da- data that you can get from your scanner. And you want to get your surface reconstruction directly from that, right? Mm-hmm. And that was the, the starting point of DIGS. We, we kind of wanted to see how well can we do a surface reconstruction kind of algorithm that relies on implicit neural representations, but without those kind of extra supervision signals?
0: OK. So your challenge is, and I I should be bringing up this on my screen, but basically you have, in your example, a point cloud. So it's just hypothetical. You're um, a surveyor, and you have a point cloud of uh, a warehouse and somehow you've lost your normals from that lidar scanner or perhaps they're just not good um, and you want to use sdf to figure out you know i want a a geometric representation of this warehouse and now i no longer have those normals and that was very helpful in the past um but but now you're now you're trying to do it without so what so what 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 were you what was the approach then you took to do you know that that you used in in digs if you can kind of bring as low levels or as high i guess high levels as you can for people kind of um you know you had this challenge you no longer have those um you know what what did you do to um kind of overcome that that issue yeah. of not having good input data
1: okay this is going to be a tricky one i'm going to try my best <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as high level as i can so there are two main points there the first one is it goes to well, every neural network that you use kind of starts off with some initialization, right? You, you, mm-hmm. Usually it's some random numbers that you kind of draw. Um, and it turns out that for surface reconstruction, draw, drawing random numbers is not the best way to start because you start with this very weird, noisy geometry that doesn't mean anything. So one thing we did there was to initialize to a sphere where you came up with this sophisticated way where you actually, you're not starting with random geometry, you're starting off with a sphere. Um, and, and starting off with a sphere is really important cause you kind of just, you know, you, you can imagine like pushing it from different directions to kind of match the data that you have. And then it makes the job easier. That was one aspect of digs. The other ones, uh, the other one, which is the divergence side of things is basically to say, well, if you, okay. So mathematically you push the divergence to be as low as possible what does that mean, right? What is divergence? Uh, Even most people that took, I don't know, calculus uh, somewhere in the bachelor's, they don't remember divergence anymore. If you, if you think about it, you can imagine like space, um, having these kind of, we talked about normal directions, right? And the Mm -hmm. idea is that if you walk along a surface, the, the normals don't change too much, right? Imagine you walk on the plane, Right. It's always pointing up. Maybe you reach the the end of the sidewalk and then it's pointing in a very sharp turn. But it's not all over the place. Right. It's not pointing in each and every different direction. And the idea of pushing the divergence down is basically to say, well, there is some level of smoothness that you want to to keep in your geometry. Um, And this this smoothness constraint, this kind of thing that forces the geometry to to be smooth, is what allows it to kind of get this first you know we started with a sphere now we're kind of pushing it to be this kind of coerced really smooth surface around the shape and then slowly we can remove that smoothness constraint so it's actually like fitting the, the shape really well so it's kind of this coarse to find kind of approach start with a sphere smooth it out into the shape and then I
2: like okay, that. I like that. So it's like saying, so you, so you first sounds like so you figured out how to instead of just random initialization just random numbers inside of this machine learning model inside of this neural network, you know, when, when it's starting to learn and, and train on that data, you're saying, Okay, well, figured out how to do the initialization to initialize it to something that actually isn't just random, but it's, it's a sphere, some sort of representative object, you know, and then you have this uh, divergence. Um, criteria in there. So some sort of constraint saying, well, hey, I, I expect my object initially, I, I want to I constrain my object such that it's it's relatively smooth. You know, I don't have a lot of, you know, jumps or noise or bumpiness in that surface. But then you were saying, so something about like over time. So as, as that sphere starts to be deformed, and it's closer, you know, more closely matching the surface, then you said you can lower the uh, that divergence constraint, so saying allow, okay, so now now that we're closer to our final surface, allow it to be a little more bumpy or allow it to better match sort of like, what, like the fine detail or the fine structure of that shape.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. And maybe if we want to take a little bit more high level, I, I think we can imagine like a balloon right? So imagine we have a balloon, it's inflated. We have the shape inside, right? But we start with it inflated, so we don't know where the shape is. Then I slowly start to take out the air out of the balloon. So the balloon slowly, slowly starts to, to fit onto the shape. And then, uh, But it's still the balloon, right? So it's like stretching over the shape and it's kind of over smoothing it because it still has some air locked up inside. And then at the end, if you suck all the air out, it kind of fits into the shape precisely.
2: Oh, I like that. I like that. That's cool.
0: And that was a really good way of describing what's happening. Uh, and then, again, if you're on the YouTube version of this, I have on my screen uh, kind of your, your procedure outline for training here. And, again, you see it looks like a, a sphere, an egg almost. Um, and then, it, yeah, you can see the shape kind of evolving into this dragon. I love your presentation. I'll make sure it's linked as well. Kind of like training your, how to train your dragon. We're, we're, we're turning it into this. Model of a dragon, you can see the details popping out as the different stages of divergence. Here we have, um, yeah, it's very neat how that how you how you've tackled that. Um, so thank you. What I was when I was first looking at this, my question was, Oh, do you get the sharp details? You know, because you you are you are kind of working with you want everything to be diverging towards a smooth surface on everything, but I know that in real life, there's lots of not non smooth surfaces um does does this not work well on say really high detail let's say i'm trying to think of something's got a lot of like, sharp pointy things like trees and tree branches does it do okay with that or um is there a downs uh, you know is there a limitation there
1: um that's a good question we haven't tried on on trees um and tree branches but it can get well, it really depends on the capacity of ne- your network and the amount of data that that you can you can use. Because um, in the paper, we kind of looked at, for example, an indoor scene which is fairly big, and you have a lot of different details, and it's it is mostly planar, but you have a plant in there. Um, so, so and, and it does a pretty good job. Uh, the problem with these fine details is that actually, for exactly these problems, the normal Vector is actually really important because it's a very strong cue to where the surface is. Yes, this example of the scene uh, visualization is actually a very good one, right? You can see that we're capturing detail um, f- fairly well, and and the problem is, well, if you compare to other methods, if you take out the normal vector, you can see that they create these we call them ghost geometries, like there's a lot of blobbiness all around. Um, so, yeah, and for example, you can see the plant right here where, where it stopped. You can see the plant at the end. It kind of smooths it out a bit. Maybe we could have trained it, you know, for longer, use more samples on this particular area that would improve it. Um, and, and there is a way to go here, right? This is definitely not the, the final say as far as surface reconstructions go, but, but it is a, a step compared to like the previous works that they tried to tackle the problem with this extra supervision power. But but don't get me wrong. If you have that supervision and it's reliable, use it. You're probably better off. You'll get a better result. This work is basically about what if you don't have that data? What do you do then?
0: Right. I like that that's, you know, that's real world. Uh, Jared is used to having to work with 3D reconstruction pipelines in environments in real world where (laughs) things aren't perfect, you know? They're always saying, oh, here's how to how to model something using photogrammetry and they're going to show you an object in a studio lit room and all these ideal, you know, things. What do you do when you got dark shadows and crazy lighting and all these things that don't go your way? Well, this is just another thing. What if you don't have this in this, this, this supervision data, if you don't have these things to help you in real life, that, that may be uh, something that you have to face. And so I like that you guys are thinking about that, not, Oh, this is great. This is ideal. Everything. Look how great this technology works. Well, that's that's typically not the real world. Um, all right, first of timeless, you did yeah. So this year you 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 have a new project, uh, OG INR. Uh yes. It's can you uh, okay? Kind of did what we just did with digs. Can you can you take that kind of a high level? What what are you trying to solve with that project? What was different about that versus your prior work?
1: Yeah. So before I say anything, I should say that. This is mostly a student that I'm working with. Like this is he's the main author of that paper, Chamin Hewa Konputogorege. Uh he's at the Australian National University working with Professor Stephen Gould. Um this is part of his PhD, and and he's also a co-author on the Digs paper. We're we're joint first author of, on, on that work. Um, so in the OGINR, which stands for um Octree guided implicit neural representation, we take kind of a different, um, path to solve this problem. Um, and that path basically says, well, we know that if we have this ground truth distances information, right? We know it since deepest DF, we're getting good, good results, but what if we only had some level of. Estimate, right? What if we only? What if we could have guessed it, and and not only guessed it, guessed it in a way that kind of is baked into some some uh, volumetric structure that could actually make things easier later down the line. So, for example, in areas where you have high detail, you don't want to consider them exactly the same as very coarse, right? You want to have this kind of level of detail uh, to like level of detail control within your, your, your method, your model. And, and the way Chamin did that was using what's called an octree. So those who don't know what octree is, it's a standard um, data structure that basically subdivides the space into um, eight cubes. So you always subdivide the space um, um, in, in, you split it into two halves in each of the dimensions. So, so eight, right? So you have a cube, you subdivide it, uh, three times, you get eight cubes, smaller cubes, and so on and so forth, until you get like this very, very little cubes to represent very, very small portions of space. Uh, and the idea here was to kind of build this initial octree to, to match the, like based on the, based on the input point cloud, and then you kind of, already have this kind of nice guess of what's inside, what's outside. It's not a good guess. It's a very rough guess. But then we had this kind of nice way of of iteratively kind of going through the, the different volume portions and deciding, well, should this be inside? Should this be outside? Because let's say you have a very uh, big gap in your data and you're not sure. Or, Or for example, you know you have like a surface point. And then next to it, you have an inside and an outside point. So there's probably another surface point there, right? Because inside and outside, they don't touch unless it's like a surface there. Um, and that actually allowed the implicit neural presentation to, to learn this nice high fidelity reconstructions without having, again, these normal estimates similar to digs, but it's kind of a different approach to that. It, it uses the, the data structure and the estimate of the distance.
0: Okay, so you're 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 tackling some of the same the same problem just in a different different strategy. And so I have on my screen as well, kind of shows the octree tree that you're describing, where you take a shape of it uh, looks like a part, an industrial part. they have a point cloud of, and then it's a, I think I always bring it down Minecraft. So if you're listening to this on the po- audio podcast, it's like think of, I don't know, some sort of um, object on your desk, and then you turn it into. Eight cubes. is represent it. Represented, doesn't you would not even know what that is. Like a coffee cup in eight cubes. You may know it's a coffee cup, but then as you so sort of divide those cubes down, the shape of the coffee cup starts to emerge. Um, but the problem is those cubes can't perfectly represent the smooth roundness of a coffee cup. So now you're starting to say some of these some of these cubes are inside, some of these cubes are outside the object, and then that will help guide towards where the true surface of that object is. Being I described a coffee cup, um, but in this picture, it's not. Um, yeah, that, that's that...
1: yeah, that's exactly right. That's uh, Minecraft is the, the best way to to look at it. Just the, the, I guess the main difference to to Minecraft is that in Minecraft the the cubes are all the same size, and here you can have smaller and smaller cubes depending on the level of detail that you want. And this is like the the power of the oak tree, like it subdivides the space in a way that you, that kind of allows you better control over your resources, like your compute resources, because you don't have to have the smallest cubes everywhere. You can have big cubes some places, small cubes other places.
0: Uh, interesting. So this this doesn't, uh, I, was, I think when I first looked at this, it was everything is uniformly subdivided in the same size cubes for the representation. So you could have some parts that are fairly well represented with much more coarse cubes uh, versus other parts that are more intricate. You would want um, smaller and smaller detailed cubes
1: Yes, exactly. Correct? This okay. is okay. Yeah, yeah. This and this is the power of oak trees. This is why people have been using them a lot in robotics, actually, because these structures, kind of, uh, robotics are applications where you know you're very resource um, limited. You know, everything needs to fit on the robot. Low memory. Everything needs to work very fast. And and oak trees have been around for a long, long time, particularly for that reason. You can process the different levels of detail. Uh, a in parallel, but B in kind of these these. Um, um, you don't need as much compute because you don't have the full resolution. You have higher resolution only where you need it. Yeah, this uh, okay. the example here of the Koch snowflake is a great example of that, right?
0: Right. Yeah, see uh, again, you see portions of the snowflake where the detail changes depending on you know you're getting
2: closer to a real surface. Here it looks like. Um,
0: any questions on this, Jared? Does that make
2: sense yeah, to you? Yeah, I, I was just going to say, can you expand a bit more on so just contrasting this with the, with the other work. So with digs, you know, saying so you know before we had this sort of you know spherical representation or initialization, you know, plus the divergence constraint to help constrain the smooth you know the smoothness as as the learning uh, progresses. You know, here with the octree, um, it sounded like the motivation for that was saying, well, if I don't have normals, I don't or if I don't know ahead of time what's inside outside. We can use the octree to help initialize, you know, our guess about like, well, Hey, this is a, you know, a, a part of space that's outside of the object. Here's a part of space that's inside of the object. And then we get finer and finer, uh, around, you know, more and more detail on the edge of that surface. So are these, um, complementary approaches, you know, could, could, could you use an octree, uh, supervision with digs or, or, or are these two separate things?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You could use them. They are, well, on the one hand, they are separate things, but you could use them in the same p- pipeline. I guess one thing I haven't mentioned about digs is that computing the, the divergence takes a, l- a long time and it makes it significantly slower to train than, than other methods. And this is, was, what, this was one of the problems we wanted to solve with, with the OGINR our paper that we said, well, how can we do it faster? Uh, but still, um, and take like a different path to solving the same problem of of not having the supervision. Then we say, oh, okay, There's these oak trees, we can have a good guess of you know what's where, and then you kind of you you get a good reconstruction, and you're you're faster than than digs. But but you could use them in the same in the same method. There's no limitation on that. You you enjoy both benefits, but then you you kind of it will take you longer. Time to process because of the digs over computation uh, and we weren't and we were thinking of other ways to to get digs to work faster you don't have to compute it analytically you probably can t- can do some estimate but um, yeah, we had to okay. move on to the next research project yeah.
0: yeah okay, so talking about um you know compute time as well are we is it, let's say I'm looking at one of these you're you're reconstructing that room that I showed earlier um are we are we looking at i think of nerfs when they first came out it was days that's why i didn't really pay attention too much to it i thought oh boy i can't do this at home and now we're looking at minutes is are, is, is this are these sort of training cycles really i know it also depends on the hardware you have but are we looking at this being fairly quick near real time or is this uh, you know much, um, much longer training time
1: yeah that's a good question so so digs wasn't for example, oriented world speed, and it takes, I guess, several minutes, depending Mm -hmm. on the shape, its complexity, the level of detail, and the level of, you know, accuracy you wanna get in the reconstruction, but I would say minutes. There are other methods that uh, it's called, I can't remember the, like the full title of the paper, but for example, Nglod, that came out from NVIDIA, if I'm not mistaken, that I think can do it in real time now, Mm -hmm. Um, so you can get an, Listen to your presentation, good reconstruction quality in no time.
0: Interesting. So yeah, and that, that is a good point to point out that your focus was not speed. Your focus was on other things.
1: Um, it was quality. Yeah. Yeah. We like, see it in
0: nerfs, people on quality, people on speed, eventually all these kind of get put together, um, taking techniques that other people have showed.
1: Yeah, that's the nice thing about academia. We, we can focus on whichever sub-problem you want, but in industry, they they need to have it all. So mm-hmm. I leave yeah. that part to them. Well, when you <laughs> talked
0: about robotics, I'm thinking of some sort of self-driving or self-navigating uh, robot, be it a, a drone, a rolling robot, or anything like that, so a, a car, uh, it would need to be near real-time. It would need to be real-time, really, to use this uh, interesting all right, so uh, I just want to kind of wrap this up. Uh, so now I want you to talk, we have two quick questions. One, the first question is for an aspiring, a, a young ITSIC who wants to go into this uh, or wants to dabble into this uh, technology. Is there something that they could do at home to play with it, to kind of learn about it? Um, is there any software out there today that's uh, for, for research use or free to use that they can kind of learn about?
1: Yeah, so um, I would definitely just start with the deep SDF paper, go play with the website, play with the code. But if you want software, then uh, there's SDF Studio, for example, that um, they have a lot of implementations of state-of-the-art papers that you can kind of get your hands dirty real quick and um, and dive into all the issues with, with working examples. So that would definitely be a place to... Uh, to go Um, and then there are a lot of so luckily there are a lot of resources online about all of these papers Um, so one of them is my personal podcast talking papers where I interviewed um, uh, I interviewed Chamin on our paper but also uh, Bacon for example which is another paper that that has something to do with this world of INRs uh, and also um, the uh, for surface reconstruction, like there was this new probabilistic approach that took, um, like they took on this matter. So, so I, I have like this series on surface reconstruction. So if you're kind of more of an audio person and you probably are, cause you're listening to this podcast, then I definitely recommend listening to them, uh, instead, or in addition to reading the paper, um, but definitely, if you're more into, OK, let's start coding. Uh, we have our code online, by the way, for both Digs and uh, OGINR will be up soon. Uh, but definitely, SDF Studio is probably like the one of the best place to start as well.
0: All right, that's, a, that's some good guys there. Uh, OK, so and I and I do, I will link uh, your podcast as well. If you're looking at the show notes, I, I used it to prep for this this episode as well. It's a, it's, it's a great resource for people specifically who are in academia or science uh, who uh, want to go a little bit deeper than we did today. Um, And so then, okay, now I'm not in computer vision as a discipline, but perhaps I am interested. I'm listening to this episode because I want to be educated on how this technology works because I think my business interacts with it. Is this really technology that people should be focused on today? Implementing in perhaps the workplace, or is this something like I think like nerfs? There's there's not a lot of application for it yet, but you know um, it's something we shall be watching at because how much how much is happening in it? Is this also something that is being used today that we
1: should be focused on, or, or are we a little far away from it being commercialized? Um, no, I think that it has applications today, right? Because surface reconstruction, people people do it, right? They use Poisson mm-hmm. surface reconstruction because it's implemented like. I don't know, all of the software that that, that, that do surface reconstruction. Uh, And we show and other methods show that we can outperform for some surface reconstruction. Um, So, yeah, in in that regard, it's definitely usable. Uh, I would say that it is still a growing field, right? There is still research to be done. There are still issues. There are still problems. We, We would love to have it like, you know, As generalizable as possible, right? Like train on one data, use it on another. Right now, you kind of have to train and test on on the same data. Um, So, so there is work to be done, and especially I think in it's going to shine in applications like, you know, where you have a lot of intricate details that you want to reconstruct. So, personal avatars um, and you know all the metaverse kind of applications, right? So is that is metaverse an application it is right it's happening Mm -hmm. it's not not everybody's using it yet but um, you know if you want to stay ahead of the curve then definitely i think this is one of the places like this is one of the technologies that is going to be useful in it or you know at least would be a building block in some other you know general pipeline yeah and i think one of the most interesting papers that i also have on my podcast is icon from Mm -hmm. michael black's group um, and econ, which is like a, a new one of, uh, a newer, like a newer work that kind of solve a similar problem of getting an avatar from a single RGB image.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm flashing uh, icon on here. Uh, just this, some of the slides and it's, a it's a fun one just to look at, just thinking how that sparse set of images. We're, we're making avatars that are dancing and doing complex movement.
1: Um, yeah. I, and I that, think this is an interesting application because when you think about it, trying to reconstruct a person, not a static one, a dynamic one, a person is moving, their face is moving, they have different expressions, their their clothes, you know, the way they drape. These are super complicated things that you can't model parametrically if you try, you know, with actual equations and functions. But once you encode it into a network, well, that seems to work
2: yeah, yeah, I, I really like all this this, this, this line of work coming back just to the, the, you know, the application of it, you know, because it's, it's, you know, a, as a goal. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, a lot of computer vision is trying to represent reality, you know, re- recover from from images and video, from the real world, how can we digitize the real world? How can we take the real world and turn, you know, turn it into something the computer can understand? You know, and so there's all these different ways that a computer can try to represent reality. It can represent reality as a picture, you know, a set of you know colored pixels in an image. It can represent reality as a point cloud. So X, Y, Z, you know, 3D points that try to represent, you know, oh, here's a, you know, a point on the surface somewhere in reality. And then there's triangle meshes. You know, we have NERFs, which try to represent the visual appearance of of a scene from different angles. And now with these implicit representations and then adding the neural, part, you know, on top of it saying, okay, now it's a neural implicit representation, trying to do a better job of understanding, well, where is the surface of this, you know, of the geometry in my scene. You know, so it's yet another way to represent reality, you know, digitize a world, you know, to an, in a very accurate and precise manner. And so it's just, I, all of these are just, you know, different ways to, you know, to digitize the real world. And so to me, uh, continuing to make advancements in these spaces is, is highly relevant as we um, try to design algorithms and computers to uh, do a better job of, you know, interfacing with and interacting with the real world.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good way to put a bow on on this episode. <laughs> it's just another. Uh, I wouldn't say it replaces. This is a to me. None of the technology that we ever look at replaces anything in the past. It's just yet another tool, and it's figuring out which tool do I need to utilize to to solve whatever problem or visualize whatever environment I'm 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 facing with the computer. How do we best tell the computer what it's looking at? So. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, uh, I just want to thank you, Isaac, for for coming on this podcast and sharing all of uh, all of your knowledge on this. Um, and as well, thanks, Jared, for joining again and providing your your input from a computer vision scientist. I hope people understand this. I will ensure that in at the end, I will have all of your information linked in the show notes uh, so people can find you. People can find your research. People can find your podcast. Uh, You have been a great resource for me and for the the computer vision uh, field as well. Um, So, I'd just like to thank you for being on this episode and uh, hope to see you guys in another episode on perhaps the CVPR 2024 paper. All right.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, And thank you for this amazing podcast. All
0: right. Thank you. Well, that episode's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you learned something new about implicit neural representations, as it is a quickly evolving technology that we all should be aware of. And please subscribe if you like this content, as we'll be bringing more to you every other week. I'll see you in the next episode.